welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for this week's episode, I catch up with one of Ireland's adopted sons, Peter Mantle of Delphi Lodge fame. After success with setting up and running fishing lodges in Connemara and then the Bahamas, Peter has returned home to England to dry fly fishing on the River Test, where he runs a much smaller enterprise called Chapel House. I speak to Peter about the trials and tribulations of running a fishing lodge, the numerous obstacles he's had to overcome, and most importantly, how he has succeeded despite it all. From fish disease and fish farms, to recessions, hurricanes and even a global pandemic, nothing has deterred him, and he has done it all with a wry sense of humour along the way. This then is Peter Mantle on his final fishing project. Well, I should stress this is pretty small scale. Um, we, we are sort of semi-retired, uh, having largely pulled out of the Bahamas. And um, we just thought we'd go mad without some ongoing uh, source of company as much as anything else. It's a, it is a commercial continuation of running a fishing lodge, but only on a very small scale for two bedrooms um, with fishing on the local river test. So was it very much a case of, uh, I know when we last spoke, you know, and, and you had the Bahamas, but then even though you, I know you were kind of about talking about maybe the UK was an option sometime down the road, is that even though you're semi-retired, you still can't help yourself in many ways? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I really mean it. You know, I think I would go bonkers if we didn't have some continuing um connection with the fishing world and living in the middle of hampshire in the sort of home of dry fly fishing it just seemed an obvious thing to do but on a much more uh, manageable scale where we can basically do it ourselves have guests in our own home and um i'm lucky enough to own with some friends a, a, a beat on the test and i have other friends who own other beats so we can access these rather pretty um gentle low-key um uh, uh, forms of fishing which which are a bit different to anything we've done before was it always back in your mind peter that you did want to go retire kind of on the test no, i wouldn't say always it was perhaps a, a small fantasy um that we might end up doing that um when i first um left ireland in 2012 um obviously the center of gravity moved to the bahamas but it was that was always seen as being a um, a 9 or 10 year plan and as as we neared the end of that 10 years which we'd started in 2009 um we started looking around for other options and um um we had thought of buying this big old mill that stands on the river test instead of where we live at the moment but we realized that that was just too big a scale it would have been another delphi type operation um with a need for staff and you know all that so we decided no we just um we do it ourselves on a very small scale largely aimed at people we already knew through either delphi island or delphi bahamas and um we took our first guess in last year Actually, tell me this. Uh, was that a conscious thing then you didn't want to brand it Delphi? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I mean, the house is called Chapel House. Um, it would seem a little bit forced uh, to you know, alter that. Um, had we bought this other place, the big mill, we might have, I don't know, called it Delphi Chalk Stream or something like that. Um but um, no, I think 
um, the Delphi connection remains in the form of uh, the people, but not in not in the branding, as it were. So, are you still involved with Delphi Bahamas? Yeah, I'm still a shareholder in it, um, but I no longer, thankfully, have any involvement with the day-to-day running of it. Um, and the people who largely assumed that mantle have been dealt a pretty rough hand of cards. First of all, the hurricane last year, which wiped out the island, um, although not the lodge. Um, and just as they were recovering and reopening from that, uh, the Bahamas government in- introduced a pretty draconian um, lockdown because of COVID. So they're closed up over there until November. Um, and so you could say we were very lucky to get the majority of our interest out before all those horrid things happened. When we last spoke and we met um, up in Connemara, actually, and I, I, your story was incredible when you were telling me about moving to Ireland and getting set up. And <laughs> it was like obstacle after obstacle. And then you told me about Delphi Bahamas and, you know, you'd set that up right as the, the biggest financial crash since the 1930s kicked in. Yeah. And then I read yeah. the article about you in Chapel House. Like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, I have to catch up. And then next minute, COVID kicks in. <laughs> yeah, no, we had a spectacular 36 hours here earlier in the year when we lost all our bookings for the season, all at one go. Um, and we had we built up a nice little... Uh, portfolio of guests for this this season and um, every single one of them uh, naturally understandably pulled out because many of them were coming from America one or two from South Africa Luxembourg there were some strange sort of international connections that we'd inherited through Delphi people we knew and of course you you can't travel um, and even if they could have traveled um, because of our health status here we we have to be pretty damn careful anyway about taking people in so our lockdown has been quite brutal but we lost a lot and um you just have to take it on the chin really there's nothing else you can do about it um uh, there are people a lot worse off than us who have suffered much more severely but nonetheless that was kind of envisaged as an important part of our annual income and and um that's gone do you ever kind of just, you know, like like I said, going back to the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, you kind of, at any stage, are you tearing your hair out, looking up at God, going, Jesus, what did I do? Like, Well, I have thought of opening a stock brokerage firm where my clients do the exact opposite <laughs> of what I recommend, because it seems to me that there is a law of uh, uh, opposites happening. But no, I, look... Um, yeah, we, we've been uh, unlucky in some ways, but we've been unbelievably lucky in other ways. So it's very, very hard to complain in the round, really. What is it? Because you've made it, you made a success after all difficulties with Delphi Connemara and the same with Delphi Bahamas, and I'm sure you will do the exact same with Chapel House. What is it, you think, like even people that are listening to this, maybe whether it's you know going through difficulties with their own business or even looking to set up a business, whether it's fly fishing or any other industry, what is it that think allows you to kind of overcome the difficulties and turn it into a success? Ooh, um, well, success. I mean, I've always said that much of what we've done has been successful in terms of um, pleasing uh, most of the people who participate, but 
by any sort of commercial um, objective yardstick, um, our financial success has never been particularly significant. But that wasn't, of course, the objective. I mean, our our objective throughout, since you know, back in my 30s, was to find an enjoyable way of um, um, you know of living, which um, would also please the people who came to join in. So it was more about people pleasures than financial pleasures. And um, hopefully we can continue that. Um, you make tremendous uh, friends and build a fantastic network of contacts through the fly fishing world. And fly fishing, almost by definition, um, the people who do it, um, tend to be um, agreeable and that that is deeply pleasurable and when they come back as hopefully they will you know year after year after year then you get to know people really well and you know form bonds that survive all kinds of setbacks and mishaps um what made you keep going though because you never threw the towel in you never said do you know what no, I made a mistake here. I need to go down another path. Well, it would be romantic to think that we never thought of throwing the towel <laughs> because we certainly did. And there may be others that might have liked to pull the towel out from underneath us, notably bank managers at various <laughs> stages. But um, I don't know, really. I think the Delphi Island thing had just become such a challenge um, that I was youthful enough and um, idealistic enough to think that that was worth um, taking on and trying to overcome. But the reality also was that um, had we pulled out uh, at a moment in time that was disadvantageous, then obviously we'd have lost our shirts in terms of our investment. Um, the same, to some extent, is true in the Bahamas, that um, whilst we had no idea that this devastating hurricane was coming, or this horrid disease would hit the world. Um, I was always slightly nervous about the undertaking and what could go wrong. Um, and you just focus on trying to do the very best you can at the time and hope that your worst fears are never realized. Um, and in some senses, we've been blessed with good timing on our exits from these various um, uh, undertakings. Um, and Chapel House is not something that I ever envisage um, stopping until I physically can't do it anymore. So there's no need to worry, even if the level of guests is not always uh, as robust as we might wish it to be. You know, we still live here. It's a deeply pleasurable part of the country to live. Um, we're very lucky and I can, you know, still do what I like doing. And it's it's a testament, I suppose, Peter, as well, to what you previously achieved in the sense that what you're saying is most of your guests or your bookings are from people that you knew got to know through Delphi Connemara and Delphi Bahamas. Yeah, almost entirely. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we would wish it to be, really. Again, it's more about uh, um not any of them enjoying it, but us enjoying them. And that may be a bit selfish, but I'm old enough to, uh, I think, just about merit that. If you had known 
what you were getting yourself in for, whether Delphi, Connemara, or Delphi, Bahamas, do you think you'd still have gone ahead and done it? Oh, Lord. Uh, Delphi Island, um, without any doubt, because um, whilst we were naive and, uh, and um, idealistic in starting out and deeply ignorant of the realities of uh, what would happen, um, yeah, no, I have no regrets. It was extremely interesting and and huge challenge um, to beat the odds, as it were. And you know, from the very start, we had all these disasters with uh, the row over canoeing and gold mining, and then the sea trout crisis and salmon farming and all that. But I think um, had it not been for uh, at least some of those crises, um, our life would have been rather dull and lonely in this little <laughs> valley in the west of Ireland. And it did at least expose us to a whole world of politics and finance and, um, you know, campaigning. And, and and all of that was in many ways stimulating, but also uh, on many occasions very frustrating. Um, then switching over to the Bahamas, I kind of always thought that it would only be a 10-year thing. In theory, we could have carried it on for another stint if everybody who was involved wanted to. But um, it just seemed like, a, a, again, a fun thing to do. But because we were starting from scratch in the middle of nowhere in a country that probably wouldn't mind me describing it as pretty third world... Um, on a little island where the logistics of life were very complicated. Um, I knew that was never going to be um, easy. And um, probably there were more times in the Bahamas when I regretted what we'd done um, than there were in Ireland. Um, but that was purely because I couldn't at the time see a way out of it after the global meltdown of 2008 and the complete collapse of uh, property prices um, um, in Florida, which badly affected the Bahamas. I mean, probably at one stage, prices were down by about 60%. But that meant that not only my investment, but the investment of all my pals who had joined in on it was hammered if we were to pull out and um, realize the loss. Now, many of them could probably have afforded to carry the loss, but I'm not sure that I could. So we decided to hang on in um, anyway, and very fortunately came across a gang of regular guests who were keen to take it on and were considerably better funded than we ever were. And so they've been able to do a lot of things that we would have only dreamt of doing. So um, it all worked out very well in the end, but that was purely fortuitous i think if you hadn't had that actually the extra financial backers to, to be able to jump in with the deeper pockets would you have been able to have kept delphi bahamas going as an ongoing concern oh no no definitely not um i mean nothing i've ever done has been done entirely with my money and so the, there have always been people who have um liked our plan and wanted to participate and um I mean, no, crikey, the investment in the Bahamas was massive. I think we, you know, it was $6 million, and I didn't have that kind of money. So we put together a gang of people, mostly drawn um, from those we knew through Delphi Island, um, 
who all joined in as small shareholders. And um, without them, it would not have been conceivable. No, definitely not. I get the sense, though, Peter, from what you're saying as well, it's, it's been able to stick it out in many ways. That, you know, the downturns, it comes in cycles, what goes down will come up again. Uh, and it's been able to see yourself through those tough periods. I think that's true, but that, that's probably a function of the fact that, uh, you know, fly fishing and good crack are a wonderful combination that people who are into either or both, um, it's not ephemeral. It, it doesn't pass away. It's there all the time. So if you find somewhere or something where you can indulge those um, uh, desires um, comfortably and agreeably, then, you know, what's not to like and people will keep coming back or will will back the idea of keeping it going. All fishermen know that you have good weeks and bad weeks and good years and bad years, and they always have known that. If they don't know that, they wouldn't uh, um, be consistent fishermen. Um, so what we're kind of used to taking the rough with the smooth, I think. Um, having said that, some of the issues that we... Uh, bumped up against were pretty unforeseeable. Uh, the most devastating one was the hurricane in the Bahamas. But thank God I had done the deal to uh, extricate ourselves, um, you know, ahead of that hurricane. So um, that deal would have collapsed <laughs> had the hurricane come a few months earlier. Just maybe remind people, actually, when which hurricane was this? What year? It was in September last year. And it was called Dorian. And it was the most powerful hurricane ever in the Atlantic to make landfall. And it completely devastated um, our island above all others because we got a direct hit uh, on the little capital town, which is called Marsh Harbor, was completely and utterly destroyed. Uh, fortunately, the club, uh, Delphi Club, was in perhaps about eight miles outside the inner core of the hurricane. And so the damage to us was relatively minor. But inside that inner core, it was total wipeout. And the whole infrastructure of the island, um, well, still hasn't recovered. In fact, somebody I know was there recently, and a taxi driver gave them a tour around Marsh Harbour to look at the damage. And my friend said it was as if the hurricane had only hit last week. So even eight months, nine months later, the damage was so severe that the place, um, uh, you know, is, is going to struggle to ever uh, get back properly on its feet. So running a fishing lodge where all your supply and logistics uh, depend on that town is, is pretty nightmarish for the people who've taken it on from us. And then you've the double whammy where, because the Bahamas obviously depends so much on tourism, and then COVID comes and you know, yep. the season's wiped out. Like. Absolutely. And, um, and, and as I say, the Bahamian government introduced a, a, um, a lockdown that was pretty severe, a total blockage on people coming into the country. Um, so sort of shooting themselves in the foot, but perhaps necessarily so, because I see from the statistics that they've only had, I think, 103 cases uh, in the whole Bahamas and I think 11 deaths. So that's a pretty good outcome, although, of course, they're not out of the woods yet. And um, we'll see how the easing of the lockdown goes. They're so close to America that 
you would be fearful of a second wave. Mm. Um, we'll see what happens. And just as an aside as well, I suppose, just in relation to the climate change that, you know, you're seeing more hurricanes, stronger hurricanes, that you would be fearful for the future, wouldn't you, in terms of if you were well, still out there? Well, funnily enough, the, 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 the lodge, the club, was built uh, specifically with hurricanes in mind. Uh, we had a brilliant architect um, who... Uh, I said, look, don't spare anything on um, making sure that this is um, totally hurricane-proof. And he said, look, uh, I guarantee you it'll be um, good for any hurricane up to Category 4. And I said, well, great, how many categories are there? And he said, well, actually, there are five. (laughs) And I said, "Um, ah, so what happens if we get a Category 5 hurricane? He said, well, they're extremely rare. And he said, there's probably no building in the world that could be guaranteed to withstand a Category 5 hurricane, you know, except for a concrete pillbox. Um, so that sort of stuck with me at the time. He, he was smiling as he said it, and that slightly alarmed me. And so we, nobody was expecting a direct hit from a Category 5 hurricane. Um, and, and we actually didn't get that direct hit. It was the town that got it. So the building survived. Um, if we did get a direct hit from a Category 5 hurricane, heaven only knows what would happen. But typically what does happen is the roof gets ripped off and then everything inside gets destroyed. So you pray and you insure. And we were paying, I think, $60,000 a year just to insure the building and contents um, against the risk of a hurricane which we had to do because of our investors money um puts puts the bleakness of connemara weather into context i think well it certainly does although i do remember living through uh, a couple of definite hurricanes in delphi island um they would have been easily over the 73 mile an hour uh, point at which a hurricane is declared Remember that terrible St. Stephen's Day storm of, you probably were too young to remember it, but must be about 25 years ago. Um, and several other really bad storms, which would be funneled up the Delphi Valley um, because of the steep mountains on either side. And there were many, many nights when we thought the roof of our cottage was going to be ripped off. I suppose the difference between Delphi, Connemara, and then the Bahamas was in Connemara, you know, you'd settle down, you'd, you'd put down roots there with the kids and schools and all that. So it was real yeah. kind of bringing kids up nearly in that sense, whereas Bahamas was the kids had moved on and you were that bit older. Do you feel more kind of, do you feel more rooted or tied to Ireland because of that? Um, certainly, I think my children do. I mean, they're Irish. They regard themselves as Irish. And... Uh, probably us leaving Delphi hit them more hard than anybody else. Um, But we all still go back uh, from time to time, and we have many, many friends over there. Um, Although we recently did sell our our cottage over there. Um, And um, although my sort of Irish credentials are more genetic than... um, um, my accent might indicate. Uh, at the end of the day, um, they are fully Irish in, in the sense that they were born and reared over there. And um, 
think of themselves as Irish. And do you think they'll keep up the ties maybe and keep visiting? Yeah, I mean, I actually thought um, at one stage that one of them was going to move over there, but in the event, neither of them have, although one's on Anglesey, just a ferry right away. Um, no, I don't It's hard to predict the future, actually, for them, but but they, the, the ties are strong, whereas I never for a moment... Um, felt um, any sort of personal bond with the Bahamas. Um, it was more about um, looking after the staff who were fabulous and, um, you know, the challenge of getting it all, getting all the logistics sorted out. And, and of course, designing the place and sorting it all out. That was fun. Tell me this, um, in the current context, in terms of the fly fishing um would you advise if somebody said, right, I'm looking, I'm thinking of getting into, you know, fly fishing, lodge, hospitality side of things, would you advise them against it? <laughs> I may certainly probably would. Um, I mean, I think um, with, without wishing to appear to be overtly plugging my little book, uh, anybody who reads uh, Double Delphi is certainly going to think twice about um uh, uh, even attempting um, what we did. And against a backdrop now where salmon runs uh, are continuing to collapse globally, it seems, um, and sea trout are largely a thing of the past in the west of Ireland. Um, and even brown trout fishing has its share of uh, problems in terms of um, global warming and droughts and uh, pollution and all, you know, all the challenges of the modern world. You know, building a, a business based on fishing is a minor form of lunacy, but building <laughs> it based on migratory fish is a major form of lunacy. And um, no, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't re I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless they had very, very deep pockets. Um, and even then, it's probably like burning cash. Or sadomasochistic tendencies. Yes, exactly. exactly. Um, exactly. Tell me, just about for people that are listening to this, about a bit of background about the River Test and where Chapel House is and that whole area where you are in uh, in England. Yeah, sure. Well, we're in, in Hampshire, um, in the south of England, the sort of central south of England, not far from the coast. Nearest big, big city would be Southampton. But we're actually about equidistant between Salisbury and... Winchester and Andover and the Test Valley or the River Test is is arguably the home of dry fly fishing it's one of many chalk streams in the area which means that it flows out of the downs or hills which are largely chalk and so the rivers run very 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 clear and the aquifers underneath the chalk store up vast quantities of water and release them very very slowly throughout the year so after a, a year, a winter like the one we've just had, um, you know, we're more or less guaranteed good flows of clean water right throughout the current fishing season. Um, so it was back here in the 19th century that, you know, Halford and Skews wrote their sort of definitive books on, on, on fishing the chalk streams and um, invented the dry fly. Um, it's extraordinarily beautiful um, English uh, countryside. Um, very gentle, lots of water meadows, 
beautiful clear water, fabulous wildlife. Um, it, it really is quintessentially um, English um, um, perfection in terms of rural um, attractiveness. Um, but um, the River Test is, along with the Itchen and the Avon and, and, and the Wiley and many other little chalkstones, they're pretty sought after. And they've been traditionally quite expensive to fish because they're not huge rivers. And um, what it means is that um, the fishing has been subject to quite a lot of pressure um, over the past 100 years, increasingly so in recent decades. And so most of the fish that people now catch are actually stocked fish rather than wild fish. Um, and some people find that objectionable. Um, in our case, we're very, very fortunate to have a friend who owns a stretch on the upper test where there are no um, uh, stocked fish and where the average wild brown trout is probably about a pound and a quarter and you fish with a little three-weight rod. Whereas further downstream, people are generally fishing with five-weight rods for trout that are averaging two and a half to three pounds, but stocked. Um, and is it dry fly only? No, uh, on some beats it is, um, but that's very purist. Uh, and I'm, I've never been a complete purist. Um, no, nymphing is, is, is allowed on our bits and on most bits because there are simply days when the fish aren't rising. They're not taking fish off the surface. And you can sit there and twiddle your thumbs all day, but if the fish aren't rising and you're fishing dry fly, you're just not going to catch them. Um, so we allow nymphing. Uh, down, downstream um, uh, nymphing is, is permitted on most beats. Um, and that's probably how 50% of the fish are caught. And is that mainly sight fishing, Peter? It's almost entirely sight fishing. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole pleasure of it. And it's also what it has in common with bone fishing, that you're, because of the clarity of the water, you're, you're fishing for fish that you can see. Um, um, and if you can't see them, then there's hardly any point in fishing, because that's not the pleasure. Um, you, you've got these gorgeous shallow rivers which which have sort of light gravel colored bottom then weed beds of ranunculus streaming down uh, with the fish lying between or among them or on the gravel beds where you can see them very clearly and um, the job is to tempt them just as it is with bone fishing but um, that depends on what they're doing are they surface feeding or are they um, you know not feeding at all um, but a, a blank day is pretty rare. Um, this mayfly season just ended. It has been actually very poor. We were very lucky to be released from lockdown in order to be able to fish. But, well, that wasn't the main reason for lockdown, but it was the main reason as far as we were concerned to get excited. Uh, but in the event, although the weather was spectacular, the fishing was lousy. And um, nobody's quite sure why, but it might be to do with the huge floods in the winter, which washed everything away. And what about the fly hatches? Have you seen a change because? No, of... the May. Well, this year, yes. I mean, we 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 had a very poor uh, hatch of mayfly this year compared to last year and the year before. Um, and 
as I say, that was probably a function of the enormous floods that we had in January, which washed out a huge amount of weed and silt and, um, you know, mayfly larvae um, come out of the silt. They like mud, basically. So if that all gets swept away, they get swept away. But Mother Nature, I mean, there were plenty of mayfly, but nothing like as many as you would expect in a glorious mayfly week. Um, but rather like salmon, Mother Nature will repopulate them pretty quickly. It's like taking a step back in terms of the kind of the history of, of fly fishing, really, um, to, to where it all began. It, it's, it's worth um, taking a trip over. If they want to find out more information, Peter, how can they get it? Yeah, OK, no problem. The, the website is uh, chapelhouse1841.com. Um, at least I think it is. Yes, I'm sure it is. And most of the information is that, I mean, typically what people do is come and fish or come and stay for three nights, fish for just a couple of days, uh, ideally one on um, an upper wildfish beat and one on our lower stocked beat. Um, and they can stay for longer if they want to, but that that is a typical little package. Um, and we might eat in um, the local gastro pubs in the evening. We give them a big picnic basket lunch and hearty breakfast at the beginning of the day. Um, we've got a great guide who knows everything there is to know about the river test. And um, it's, I don't want this to sound like a sales spiel, but it, but it is a, a, a small uh, taste of, um, uh, you know, deep pleasure, I think, is the best way of looking at it. But it would not appeal to those people who, would prefer to hike up a rocky mountain and fish some uh, river in Montana or indeed a mountain in New Zealand. It's far more leisurely than that and uh, kind of more bucolic, more pastoral, and um, um, but no less pleasurable for that. Peter, thanks a million for joining us. And hopefully we'll, you know, you'll, you'll be back to Ireland sometime and you know keep keep the keep in touch with with the the fly fishing and the people in ireland here because you you left a great legacy in fairness so um and you know people would be for always grateful for that like well thanks Dan. and um also just want to mention double delphi it's an incredible book um peter wrote it probably about two three years ago describing your whole story between delphi connemara and, and delphi bahamas maybe you'll have to bring out a sequel well, well, I might have to because we've run out of copies of the first edition. I think we've only got about 10 copies left. So. Yeah, well, that's a brilliant read as well, so I'd recommend it. Peter, uh, continued success and um, hopefully when all the lockdown um, eases and the world is back to some sort of normality, uh, um, you'll be back up on your feet and running with the, the Chapel House once again. Thanks, Tara. My thanks to Peter Mantle for joining me on this week's show. And if you do fancy some chalk stream fly fishing in England, do check out chapelhouse1841.com for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram and I'll be back next week with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.